Hey, hey guys. guys! Welcome to another episode of Teach Me Out of History. My name is Laura. And my name is Jasmine. And this week we'll be discussing how certain medias use their platforms today to neglect important moments in history and how negative these consequences may be. But on the other hand, when done properly, they can actually produce real change. So an example of a case that happened a few days ago and that we completely disagree with occurred this Sunday on a local Quebec reality TV show called Occupation Double. So just to give some background on this uh, on this uh, TV show, it's a show about love and strategy where uh, couples are formed, and in the end, the winning couple um, they essentially they win a bunch of different prizes. Um, this year, they're winning a condo, two cars that are insured, uh, they're winning uh, furniture for the house inside and outside, uh, a yearly membership to Econo Fitness, and and much more. So um, most importantly, this year the uh, the TV show is taking place in South Africa, and South Africa has a very interesting history, to say the least. And specifically on this week's episode that we were very uh, angry with, if, if if I should say, to say the least, yeah, to say the least, um, a couple got the chance to go on a uh, four-day getaway to Rwanda. And um, what really upset us is the fact that Occupation Double really neglected um, addressing the Rwandan genocide. And I mean, mm-hmm. that's like really, really important. <laughs> it's just I don't understand how you can neglect something so important. Like when you visit a country, you need to respect its culture and its history. And to completely neglect it, in my opinion, is so wrong in so many ways. Right. And this goes back to what uh, Laura said at the beginning, you know, media outlets they need to use their platforms for good and if not um i mean the consequences can be no there are serious consequences and it's what we will be showing you today so before we continue we just would like to uh, make a listen to a clip of the uh producers intentionally wanting to uh like censor the the rwandan genocide Notre défi, c'est de trouver une façon d'aborder le génocide sans qu'ils prennent le dessus sur le voyage, qui est quand même qui doit être un voyage romantique. Est-ce qu'on peut aborder euh, le rôle des caves pendant le génocide? Dans des contextes comme celui-ci, on, c'est des sujets qu'on n'a pas le choix d'aborder, mais c'est de trouver le bon ton, le bon moment et la bonne façon de le faire. Mais si vous voulez, on va les faire. Je veux juste être sûr qu'on... Ce qu'on dit, c'est, c'est juste... C'est vraiment de bien démontrer le nouveau Rwanda. Fait que, tu sais, le pays se porte bien, c'est propre. Il n'y a pas de plastique, il n'y a rien. Genre, c'est fou. Et on va faire tout en français oui. ou en anglais? Oui, vous parlez si bien français. Oh, <rire> Just to note that this is a direct recording from season 3, episode 54 of L'Occupation Double. Uh, you can find the direct link to this episode on Nouveau.ca and we can provide the links to you if need be. And just let us know and we'll provide it on any all of our social media platforms. Also, uh, just a quick little translation. Um, they were... Um, in in a cave and the tour guide basically the production told the tour guide to try not to say that during the genocide a lot of people went to hide in those caves so that they wouldn't i mean so that they wouldn't be found so that they wouldn't die and so she she told the tour guide you know 
really try not to mention that about the caves. And actually, if you could see, like, the tour guide's face was really, he was really taken aback. Yeah, I re- I, we really encourage you guys to actually watch the video because the audio, yes, you do hear what happens, but really just looking at the reaction mm-hmm. of the tour guide's face is heartbreaking. Right, and then he says, you know, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll try to... Because well, the to- producers are literally like encouraging him not even encouraging they're flat they're out telling flat him out saying to don't not mention, mention anything. anything of his history of his culture which is in my in my opinion terrible yeah and then they go on to say they try to justify themselves they go on to say that you know it's it's a love trip so by i guess mentioning the genocide it takes away that love component but at the same time you really can't ignore what happened in those caves but anyway she goes on to say that they want to try to promote the new Rwanda, the Rwanda that is clean. There's no pollution in Rwanda and, and all that uh, positive stuff. But at the same time, we've said it in, in, other, in our other podcasts as well. It, it wouldn't be as clean. It, it wouldn't. Rwanda would not be what it is today if the genocide without did not happen. Exactly. Exactly. Without its past. So we were very well, upset about that. Even at that, it's like for me, in my opinion, the whole point of keeping uh, keeping the episode lighthearted because of its audience and its demographic i understand to a certain degree but why is it that there's other episodes there's other shows out there that are have the same demographic the same platform there's they're the same types of reality tv shows and they're actually using their platform for good on the other hand there's actually another reality tv show many of you for sure have heard about called keeping up with the kardashians that you know we, we, look we cannot deny that it it's not a, the, sh- the show to get your resources from to right get, it's not an educational it's sh- not an show educational whatsoever. show whatsoever it's a show about sisters that fight and filled yes. with drama and everything divorce scandal yeah but what actually i really 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 appreciate from the kardashians is how they use their platform to actually spread good about the armenian genocide so i don't know if any of you have watched this episode or recall but in 2015 the kardashian sisters took a trip down to armenia and acknowledged the armenian genocide and its history and its past and we're actually going to talk about how today it really did help in acknowledging in the united states uh, just shy of three weeks ago uh, the official um, acknowledgement of the U.S. government of the Armenian genocide, and a lot of people can give thanks to Kim Kardashian and her sisters for doing so. So we want to at least try to compare these two cases and show how, regardless of your demographic and audience, we believe it's a moral obligation to really acknowledge people's past and to not forget them. Mm-hmm. And um, so. Since Occupation Dub didn't talk about the Rwandan genocide and didn't even <laughs> acknowledge it at all, that's what we'll be doing for you today. We're gonna explain, you know, um, how it came about, and uh, and so take it away, Laura. Thanks. So uh, before I actually start talking about the Rwandan genocide and give you guys like a quick, not quick, but just a very Gen- introduction yeah. level definition <laughs> summary of the genocide. So yeah. So before I start off with that, I just want to give a proper definition as to what genocide is. I don't think a lot of people fully comprehend what that is. I think they just think it's mass killings, but it really isn't that. Genocide, uh, as stated in the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime and Genocide, uh, written in 1948, 
states that genocide is the following acts committed with the intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group as such. And the following acts are killing members of a group, causing serious bodily harm, deliberately inflicting on the group of conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group, and forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. It's important to note that regardless of the number of deaths, regardless of the severity of the case, what's most important to note in detecting genocide is the intent behind this act. It's the intent to destroy one of these protected groups in whole or in part. So, on to the genocide. Yes. So, before I begin, i just like to acknowledge the sources where we got our information from. And I use two sources. One is from Samantha Power, A Problem from Hell, America and the Age of Genocide, as well as Samuel Totten, Dirty Hands and Vicious Deeds, The U.S. Government's Complicity in Crimes Against Humanity and Genocide. The event that started it all was in 1994 when the French plane shot down, killing both presidents of Rwanda and Burundi, Juvéval, Habi Yarimana, and Cyprien Nitariyamira. This genocide lasted two months and resulted in the deaths in between 500,000 and 1 million. Uh, historians are still debating on the number today, even though resources uh, is, are very limited due to the conditions of the bodies, unfortunately. And uh, even though the numbers don't seem quite as high, for example, as the, the Holocaust, if you actually take it into consideration with the time that it occurred in and all these deaths occurred in, right? it actually comes up to five times the amounts of deaths of the Holocaust. Right, because the Holocaust, there were 11 million total deaths and 6 million Jewish that deaths in about seven years. Keep in mind, the Rwandan genocide happened in a matter of two months exactly. and, it, and it was about, let's just say, a million deaths. Mm-hmm. So if you actually say, for example, do the calculations, and if, for example, we know this wouldn't possibly happen, but if the Rwandan genocide lasted as long as the Holocaust did, it actually would have resulted in 42 million deaths. That's just to show the severity of this genocide and how violent it actually was. So just putting aside these numbers for the moment, it's it's what's really important to take out of this is... Uh, the fact that 70% of the Tutsi population were murdered by the Hutus. Yeah. And you guys must be asking yourselves, who are the Tutsi and Hutu, <laughs> right? So these two groups were actually both Rwandan tribes and had a long history of feuding, even before the colonizers. So uh, during the period of colonization, it was actually the Belgians who took over Rwanda. And it was only in... In 1962, that Rwanda gained independence from its colonizers. During the period of colonization, the Belgians took preference in the Tutsi tribe instead of the Hutu and actually um, gave them better jobs, better lives. Essentially, they gave them more privileges. Exactly. They really gave a better life to the Tutsi and completely neglected the Hutu. But what's important to note is that the Tutsi only represented 12% of the population in Rwanda. The other 88% were Hutu. So once Rwanda gained its independence, Hutu, with its majority, took power of government and cast all the Tutsi away along the Ugandan border in dense forests. 
Since being cast away throughout the years, the Tutsi community actually jo- actually created the RPF, which stands for the Rwandan Patriotic Front, which was a Tutsi uh, Democratic Party, and in 1990 gained the strength to rebel in Rwanda and basically take their place back in the community. Due to years of rebellion between the Tutsi and the Hutu on this on separating powers and responsibilities, in 1993 the Arusha Agreement came into place, which was a peace agreement between Rwanda, the, the Rwandan government and the RPF, which agreed to incorporate the Tutsi government into Rwandan government and their military. Um, the Hutu, many Hutus were actually really upset with this agreement because they felt like they were losing their freedoms in sharing it with the Tutsi people and started planning a revolt against them. So essentially, the Hutu people did not want to share their powers, which is what this Arusha agreement stated exactly. They had to share their powers with the Tutsi, but they did not want, which eventually led to a genocide. Exactly. An important figure to mention um, is actually a French-Canadian, and his name is Roméo Dallaire. He was a commander of the UN peacekeeping mission in Rwanda, which was his first mission as a commander. And um, when he was sent to Rwanda, actually, Dallaire was not aware of the importance of his mission, nor was he aware of the risks, because the government officials were keeping this from him. They did not, they did not tell him that a possibility of... of um, of a, a genocide. genocide yeah was was going to begin like he did not know that there was actually violence happening he did not know that these uh, hutus were plotting against the tutsi people so essentially you know he went to rwanda very blind and uh, that's it his only mission was to uh, maintain the arusha agreement that was his mandate and that's what he was expected to do exactly he really had no idea about the severity of the case yet organizations like the CIA and the Human Rights Watch had investigated Rwanda mm-hmm. and both indicated the risks of this possibility of a, like this possibility of a genocide breaking out so it's like he went in blind but other people knew so why did they still send him without any you know like help or exactly. any awareness on on the issue and I'll be elaborating on this a little bit later but honestly one of the really important things to note in the Rwandan genocide is the neglect from other nations and it's honestly due to this neglect that the Rwandan genocide even occurred that it even became as violent and as deadly as it was and this is just an example of it you know like Dallaire was was very misinformed he he lacked so much information and it's like yeah he went in there and once he once he was on the the grounds he realized oh oh my goodness like yeah. This this is this is much worse than I had anticipated and he actually asked for 5000 troops um from from the government officials mm-hmm. but you know like these these government officials they didn't even acknowledge it and they only ended up giving him you know in the end 2500 um troops. Yeah. Which in context of Somalia is incredibly low. Basically around the same time there was a civil war in Somalia mm-hmm. and um Somalia received 25,000 American troops. That's 10 times the number of troops than in Rwanda. However, when Dallaire was sent to Rwanda, um, Rwanda at that time was also in a civil war. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't, it doesn't make like, why is Somalia, who's also in a civil war, getting 25,000 American troops? Makes- and why is Rwanda asking for 5,000 and only getting 2,500? Exactly. 
But just to reiterate and just to make clear is that we're not saying that that you know they shouldn't have sent that many troops to Somalia. It's great that they did. It's yeah, great. Of it's course. great that you know it was acknowledged. It's what they should have done regardless. Exactly. Of the but what we want to really make clear is that there was a lack of resources in, in Rwanda, and they really needed and they deserved these resources. And like, this is probably one of the reasons why it ended up being a genocide is because they weren't. Uh, properly looked after well it's because the perpetrators knew no one was looking that's also a really mm-hmm. really big reason why they got away literally got away with murder right they got away with genocide they didn't actually get away with it obviously because no, like it's it been acknowledged and everything but just to say at the time they were getting away with it and no one was doing anything to stop it because like we said in Somalia this was happening and the United States were exerting all their resources there exactly. and then when they basically long story short they were there for a couple of years and Clinton towards uh, the end of their mission in Somalia just took back all their troops because they found their mission unsuccessful and they didn't understand why they sent so many resources and spent so much money when they didn't see a result to their situation and the perpetrators took that as their advantage exactly well then like they just didn't want to repeat their mistakes in rwanda which in my opinion is a terrible way to look at things because there's no such thing as a mistake in helping other people in need but Mm -hmm. yeah exactly (laughs) and you know they just sent alert there with an encyclopedia of rwanda rwandan's history a Michelin roadmap and the Arusha agreement. That's it. They sent no him, other context, no other explanation. When they knew in the back of their head, well, look, this is happening in Somalia. We're helping but in for Somalia. Me, it's I. For me, what I don't understand is how you can send a peacekeeping troop mm-hmm. to do their job properly without knowing, without with you intentionally not giving them the information, the the complete story. And what they actually need in order to actually do their jobs. So it's really a clear, clear indication of the U.S. neglect. Yeah, lack of interest, lack, lack of interest in the situation. They didn't want to get involved, and they just did not acknowledge it. Exactly. To further elaborate, actually, the U.S. Congress had a debt of over half a billion dollars to the U.N. at this time due to their involvement in Somalia and other African countries at the time, and so. Uh, Bill Clinton specifically was specifically told to become less trusting of the needs of the UN because they exerted so many of their resources. They bas- they had their this mentality in their head saying like we did our part, we basically reached our quota, we can't spend any more money on helping other countries. And this just demonstrates how the US government prioritized their budget, quote unquote instead of actually saving the lives of close to a million people. And this was simply because it was just another African war and they didn't see a value to it, which is disgusting. Another, yeah, that's it. They thought of it as, you know, it's another African civil war. Why do we need to get involved? Exactly. Like, can you just imagine if something like this were to happen in a more modern country, how quick they would have intervened? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also... I'd also like to note that once the actual killings began and they started to accumulate and the numbers were rising exponentially during these two months, um, the United States finally decided to start evacuating not Rwandans, but foreign (laughs) officials. And basically, 
redirected Dalak's purpose and his mission in Rwanda, helpless as he was without any resources, he was told to not do anything else but to focus on the escape of non-Rwandans specifically. Kofi Annan, UN official, quote-unquote told him, you should not do anything above your mandate that would compromise you. Neutrality is essential. The main purpose was to avoid Rwanda at all costs, except to help non-Rwandans escape. Disgusting. Yes, very, very. Disgusting. I don't know how... Look, I understand... Like politics can be very cruel at times, but in or like to actually know what's going on in Rwanda and to purposely tell the leader of this peacekeeping mission not to do anything, to me is heartless. One of the many pathetic excuses that the American government used into not intervening in the Rwandan genocide. And I emphasize pathetic. Pathetic. Is that they thought it was a civil war at the time. But let's just take it back a couple of like steps here. How we said how CIA and Human Rights Watch had yeah. full-on investigations proving that there was a potential to genocide. How they proved mm-hmm. that there was intent again, to commit genocide before this actually happened. Again, it's them, them being ignorant. And, no, it's uh, not even ignorant. They knew very well what they were doing. They just chose to look the other way. Rude. Yeah, rude. Very rude. And so that's one of the really big reasons why they didn't intervene is because they just thought it was nothing but they didn't think that they portrayed that that's what they thought even though they knew otherwise they told the media and they told the public that it was nothing but a civil war and we should just not intervene another excuse pathetic excuse may (laughs) i add from the u.s government other than their debt towards the u.n which like i'll kind of like give it to them because like look i'm not gonna talk about money and everything like that it's not my area of expertise i know we can't save everybody but they just really should have budgeted themselves better but <laughs> like i said not my department um another excuse that the american government used is that um the hutus actually um used because another very important part of the rwandan genocide was their use of the radio and yeah, as propaganda. They used the radio as propaganda because this was a new tool that was presented in Rwanda mm-hmm. and they really took advantage of it and spread their hatred. Yeah. They spread their their killings. Right. They announced their killings. They would li- literally go on the radio and, and announce names of people that they wanted that were next on their exactly. hit list. They didn't make it obvious because they knew other countries were able were to listening. listen. But, that's but just those in Rwanda were well aware of mm-hmm. what of their use of the radio and how easy it was to stop it on the end of the United States. And at the end of the day, they they did absolutely nothing. No, they took no action on that part? None. So as uh, the Americans were coming up with a bunch of logistics and basically reasons as to why they should not help the Rwandan community, the brutality was really getting worse you know, day by day, it was getting significantly worse. Yeah, it really was. Like, just a couple of examples of testimonies from Rwandan genocide survivors. People were getting killed by machetes savagely in the street. There was no order in in Rwanda at the time. There were... It was really just 
no man's land. It really was a free for all. Right. They engaged in like a bunch of guerrilla warfare. It was basically all over the place. Exactly. It was it was very disorganized, but that's what made it just as cruel and yeah, brutal so and intense. savage. There were bodies to rot on the streets. There was no order to it. There were thousands a day just getting killed and burned alive in churches they would basically surround they would encompass a bunch of tutsi members and like stuff them in a church and just burn these churches and all of these people alive this is just a small taste of the brutalities and the united states was well aware of it because that was there reporting it all and they did nothing they just still wanted to focus on let's take the non-rwandans out of here and let the rwandans face it for themselves and just to add, um, you know, a quote that really resonated with me um, by political activist from Rwanda, Claude Dusedi, is the following, and I quote, When the institution of the UN was created after the Second World War, one of its fundamental objectives was to see to it that what happened to the Jews in Nazi Germany would never happen again. And, you know, it's so is, sad to say that that wasn't the case. You know, they, they put in place the UN so that a genocide would not happen again. And a genocide did happen again. This was honestly, in my opinion, one of the greatest fails of the UN and of US. Right. Just like, in general. Yeah. I, I just I don't know how you can neglect something as much as you can. Mm-hmm. When even when seeing the results with your own two eyes. Right. Just, Averting you know, the problem. Dallaire was sending faxes after faxes to to the, the government officials, and he was saying like he was telling them what exactly what was happening. But also, can you just imagine being in the position of someone as Dallaire being right, put right. into Rwanda, and your sole job, as well, the sole job that you think is as commander of a peacekeeping mission, <laughs> is to, to keep the peace, keep the peace, instill the peace, and all you have to do is basically save those who weren't from there and these were foreigners and these were probably europeans and american diplomats because that's what the un and america at the time focused on and found most important to conclude the summer the quick summary about the rwandan genocide um as these killings were 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 happening in in the country the members of the rpf uh, led by Paul Kagame, actually, uh, I don't know if you guys remember from the beginning how they were casted away at the Ugandan border in these dense forests, actually hid there throughout the genocide and grew enough support and grew enough I mean, like, force, yeah. I guess, in order to fight back. And that's exactly what they did. And if it wasn't for that, God knows how long, how much, mo- how much more yes. the genocide would have affected rwanda and it really was i think this is one of it's a really unique case because those who actually intervened and stopped the genocide were the rwandans themselves the ones who were actually being targeted exactly and i think they really knew that if they didn't stop it themselves no one else was going to and i think that's the saddest part of all very sad yes very sad and like that's really what like like my heart sinks to my stomach just thinking of that now today, Paul Kagame is still Prime Minister of Rwanda, but there's still so much more to be done today. Um, because this is somewhat of a recent genocide compared to a lot of the other ones, like say for example the Holocaust, Armenian Genocide, whatever that's happened like 
a little bit more in a the little past. bit longer yeah. yeah this is one of the more, more recent ones there's still a lot to be done for the victims of this genocide for example restitution for these genocide survivors and basically rehabilit rehabilitation into society you know like it's i can't speak for myself obviously i've never experienced a genocide before but i can't even think to imagine the trauma that these people have gone through and even if it wasn't them specifically if they were born after it their families their ancestors a lot of a lot of victims are still alive today because this happened so recently and so all of these people still have to continue with their day-to-day -day lives and i think a lot of people when they do think of the genocide they just think of like when it started when it ended that's it but life goes on for these people and we need to really acknowledge how it doesn't go better as soon as the genocide's done. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done to this day. And, you know, even towards the end of the genocide, the U.S. still did not want to admit it was a genocide. Because if they did, it meant that according to the Genocide Convention of 1948, that they would be forced to intervene, which they did not want to do. And, um, this is really significant because, um, Dallaire actually says himself, and I quote, I was very self-conscious about saying the killings were genocidal because to us in the West, genocide was the equivalent to the Holocaust or the killing fields in Cambodia. I mean, millions of people. Ethnic cleansing seemed to involve hundreds of thousands of people. Genocide was the highest scale of crimes against humanity imaginable. It was so far up there, so far off the charts, that it was not easy to recognize that we could be in such a situation. I also knew that if I used the term too early, I'd have been accused of crying wolf and I'd have lost my, cred my credibility. And so after he basically did, didn't really know what to define genocide as, he actually requested a, a series of international law books, which in my opinion was a really smart move on his hand. And when he did actually see the definition, which if you recall that I stated at the beginning, uh, he actually realized that the number of people, like like I mentioned earlier, makes no difference. It It's all about proving the intent and the Hutu did exactly that by premeditating this attack and by planning everything and making it very systematic, unfortunately. Now, to relate this back to the Occupation Dub episode that we were talking about earlier, how they wanted to focus on the positive of Rwanda and the beauty of it and how clean and nice the country is. To me, in my opinion, yes, it's great to acknowledge, but that's only a part of the history. That's only a part of Rwanda. Rwanda, very, very big part of Rwanda is still suffering, is still trying to get back up on its feet after the Rwandan genocide. And so in order to neglect that, means that you're neglecting such a big part of history and to me just makes absolutely no sense more importantly the fact that this specific case of genocide occurred due to negligence of other states and of other organizations like the un in involving themselves in rwanda just proves how history is repeating itself that you cannot neglect such important moments in history because the consequences could be disastrous the most important part of remembering our past is to keep on acknowledging it and keep it alive in our history if not 
I'm going to repeat this quote again. Those Mm -hmm. who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And before we move on, just to reiterate what the producer of Occupation Double said about the streets being so clean and so nice. Well, you know, it wasn't always like that. And um, I just want to give you a little glimpse of, you know, what these streets uh, looked like. Just a few years back. Just a few years back, you know, again, 1994. It's not not that that long ago. So, um, in the words of Dallaire, Dallaire actually wrote this, and I quote, My force was standing knee-deep in mutilated bodies, surrounded by the guttural moans of dying people, looking into the eyes of children bleeding to death with their wounds burning in the sun and being invaded by maggots and flies. He later wrote, I found myself walking through villages where the only sign of life was a goat or a chicken or a songbird as all the people were dead their bodies being eaten by voracious packs of wild dogs. And I end the quote. On a lighter note, there actually are platforms out there, thank the Lord, <laughs> that use their audience and that use their, their... That use their fame. Their, that use their fame their for good. And you know what? Out of all reality TV shows to compare it to, I was even surprised myself to, comp- to be comparing the Kardashians to it because, like, you know, when people think just, of the Kardashians, they think, oh my god, they just think of how drama. ridiculous they are oh, and how they have no talents and how no. they serve no purpose. But you know what? I really, I really have to condemn, like, I really have to, like, congratulate them on what they did with the Armenian Especially genocide. Especially Kim Kardashian. Yeah, definitely. So basically, just to uh, explain what the Kardashians did, um, in 2015, the Keeping Up a Kardashian series used their platform as a reality t- as a reality TV show, um, and as uh, such big influences, Kim Kardashian at the time had 65 million followers on Instagram. So just to show how big her platform actually is. Um, so at the time, dedicated a two-part series. A trip to Armenia to discover their culture since they are a quarter Armenian yes. from their, their father's father, side. Yeah. Exactly. And so they they went on their trip to Armenia. They discovered their culture, their heritage. And they also took the time and acknowledged the Armenian genocide, even though it wasn't officially recognized by the United States at this time. They still acknowledged it on their show and, and showed the importance of it in Armenian history. This was back in 2015, and actually just recently Kim Kardashian made a whole world of a difference. So, four years later, and mm-hmm. 152 million followers yeah. later, Kim Kardashian finally got the, America, the United States Congress to acknowledge the Armenian Genocide on October 29, 2019, by, um, by passing the bill 405-11, so uh, this is just this is it's monumental very and she essentially used her platform to to do so to change history so, to rewrite history yeah so this is all just, these years all these years it's been neglected and it's been labeled as just a civil war that it wasn't really a genocide and now the armenian the armenian culture the armenian people actually get to have that acknowledgement that they deserve and that recognition which to me is beautiful and exactly and actually she even went back after that recognition mm-hmm. to baptize um multiple baptize times her actually. children yeah but after the recognition in yeah. uh, october yeah she went back to baptize her children with her sister uh courtney mm-hmm. 
and and they made their presence very public through social media so like they either even using social media they're saying hey look we're we're back in armenia yeah. you know and they and you know what they go visit like these genocide grounds the, the exactly. genocide memorial grounds i mean mm-hmm. and, and you know what they really i'm not saying they don't have to as army as like reality tv stars but it's not expected you know and they're doing it regardless because they know the importance of raising awareness on issues like this even though yes they have a personal relation to it because it's part of their ethnicity and everything regardless for example bringing it back to occupation de you're literally in rwanda you're in the country itself mm-hmm. you are stepping on the grounds where this has happened and you fail to acknowledge it to me makes absolutely no sense just to give a little background for those of you who do not know maybe you know what the armenian Much genocide about it, yeah. is about it's just very just to be very brief the armenian genocide took place um from 1915 to 1923 so a little bit during but it continued even on after world war one mm-hmm. about 1.5 million armenians were killed um basically after the fall of the ottoman empire turkey wanted to recreate themselves and by doing so they believed that armenians needed to be eliminated um basically because you know they felt inferior to them but armenians were minorities however they remained they they kept this sort of you know their high status and their wealth due to regardless of the fall of the empire exactly regardless of the, fall of the empire and regardless if you know the turkey uh, the turkish people felt inferior to them they felt threatened they felt threatened but in 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 the end armenians were still my mi- minorities yeah. however but they were resilient and that's what threatened exactly, the Turkish. Exactly, that's why the Turkish people felt threatened. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason for, for the genocide. And moreover, um, the Armenian genocide is very similar with the, the Holocaust and the killing of the Jewish people because mm-hmm. both groups, um, the Jews and the Armenians, were minorities and both of them experienced this kind of rapid success yeah. and uh, which led to the resentment of their perpetrators, which, again led to a genocide both groups were minorities that were that felt threatened by their perpetrators which led them to want to eliminate them furthermore the reason why so many people denied the genocide specifically the u.s until a couple of weeks ago was really due to the false claim that armenians were traitors who deserved to be deported and basically died as a result of civil war and not really because of the genocide caused by the Turks. Now I want to read a really important quote that I found from historian Tanner Akim when he was asked why recognizing the genocide is so important to this day. And his response was, and I quote, one, to respect the victims, to accept their dignity and give an end to their traumas. Second, it is important for the reconciliation in a society, for the democracy, and for the human rights. If a society cannot face its own history, it cannot establish a democratic future. And the third factor is, related to the second one, if you want to say the sentence never again, it can never be possible if society faces its past, its history. If a society, if a state, doesn't acknowledge its wrongdoing in the past, this means there is no potential there always that it can do it again i absolutely love this quote because in my opinion we can relate it to both cases of genocide that we looked at today both the rwandan genocide and the armenian genocide because it just shows the importance of recognizing any genocide and how in neglecting that in neglecting this wrongdoing you're kind of allowing the opportunity for 
something like this to happen again and i know that's a really big claim but we really need to start taking these cases seriously because history has showed us time and time again how it repeats itself if we're not careful and i think that's really why we wanted to discuss how occupation dub really did do wrong in our eyes and just to further elaborate on how the kardashians specifically kim kardashian um is using her platform to you know basically give justice to those who basically do not have it in in the american um in the american system she is now studying to become a lawyer and is an avid prison reform advocate um just you know a quick example that i think most of you may already know is how she helped mrs alice marie johnson actually get out of jail just to give a little bit of background this woman was incarcerated for a non-violent crime in which she played a very minor role actually um it had to do with the, the selling and buying of, of cocaine and she was in jail for like over 20 years wasn't she supposed to be there for life for life mistaken? yes exactly yeah. she was her sentence was for life and it was a first time offense and it was a first time non-violent offense and yeah. she was not even like the, the kingpin she, she played like yeah. a minor role mm-hmm. you know so kim kardashian helped her her out of out of jail and so i find this is this is really great and actually really recently like maybe i think last week actually Um, I think even most of you may know, I saw a lot of people sharing it on social media, this whole case uh, regarding Rodney Rodney Reed and how he was um, actually on death row. Kim Kardashian helped him get the, the, the proper, the proper um, hearing he deserved. And uh, just also Rodney, Rodney Reed was a black man who was found guilty in an all-white jury mm-hmm. in, in um, the a 1996 rape and murder uh, case. So he was put on death row and essentially Kim Kardashian, you know, helped in getting him the proper, it helped him yeah. sharing his voice because, you know, we don't know if he's guilty or not. Some mm-hmm. people are saying he's not. Some people are saying he is. But Kim Kardashian gave him the opportunity to properly the right to a fair stand trial. his, yeah, the right to a fair trial. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which is honestly amazing because you see Very. so many other reality TV stars, they don't use their opportunity to do good. And I'm honestly like, I couldn't be more proud because Five years ago, when none of this was happening and they were really just known to bitch on television. Yes, I love this. And it's yeah. great because there is like this really... really making a good name for themselves. Yes, and, and it's there really is this deep and systemic racial like um, disparity mm-hmm. in the, the American criminal justice system. And it's like Kim Kardashian is really helping, first of all, peru- like show, shed light, to like yeah. show people that, listen, there there is this this issue and and she's not just you know she's not just taking that step forward and saying it but she's taking she's like doing another five step it. forwards forward sorry yeah. while, by doing something about it exactly and you know what i think it just goes to show how because in my opinion her demographic that she that she reaches with the show her and her sisters are usually younger girls and boys that just really mm-hmm. they don't they don't watch this for education purposes whatsoever you know or anything like that but it really does it really does spread light to a whole new demographic that probably wouldn't have heard this otherwise and no that's it and and um i just really want to relate this you know to, yeah. to an article i read by michelle alexander she's a writer and civil rights a- um, advocate and the article is uh 
is titled the the new jim crow and um for those of you who don't know, um, Jim Crow laws were um, were set uh, were established, sorry, in uh, and enforced in Southern United States. They were basically state and local laws that really um, enforced racial segregation. So these were the laws that said, you know, uh, the whites go in this washroom, blacks go in that washroom. The whites sit in the um, the front of the bus, the blacks in the back of the bus. Basically, all those laws that were happening in Southern United States in the late 19th centuries, mm-hmm. uh, century. <laughs> and so this article by Michelle Alexander, The New Jim Crow, it basically states, you know, how this war on drug, uh, on drugs gave birth to a permanent American undercast. And it relates to Kim Kardashian because essentially her work is she's trying to help these people who were wrongly accused, I guess, and who were incarcerated, well, wrongly convicted, wrongly convicted Due and to their race. Exactly, due to their race. So I think it really relates, and um, we could even put a link to the article because the article was amazing. Yeah, I really, sure. really, and it really made me think of Kim Kardashian that to the point <laughs> where I even spoke about it in class. I mentioned Kim Kardashian yeah. in class. Um, and what I found the most interesting is that um, the North American like, nation, specifically the United States, still has not moved beyond like this notion of race. And, like, maybe not so much in Canada, but you see that in the United States, they're still very racist. I've oh, I'm sure tried. Canada is just as For racist. For sure, but we see more, more... Um, it's just more direct. Yeah, more direct. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But And, you know, when we see on the news, I don't That's know, the police officers That's also another really, so... really, really important topic we can talk about is Canadian racism versus American, because that's a very interesting <laughs> yeah. issue that we but, can elaborate on another time. Yeah, that's it. And uh, just to show how she uses her fame to inform and i want to really emphasize inform yes and to bring justice to those who fall victim to it whereas occupation de straight out neglects yeah any like any form of trying to inform their public and they just do not bring justice to the, the issue of the Rwandan no, genocide at all. all. They live flat out say please mm-hmm. do not mention Look, I don't it. I don't really comprehend their like their understand, like their reasons behind it. I really. Don't. I mean, I, From- I get they wanted to try to portray a, a pretty they Rwanda. They wanted to keep it light and pretty. The but, episode, but Rwanda would not mm-hmm. be light and pretty if it wasn't for what happened. But it's not even light and pretty. That's what I'm saying. But that's like, it. It's, it's not a, light and pretty. It's not all. a well. It's not a good representation of what Rwanda actually is today. Yes, of course, there's beauty in it, but there's, there's also there's no pollution. But there's okay. also pain. There's also suffering. There's there's a lot to be said about Rwanda. It has a very complex and mm-hmm. very rich history that needs to be acknowledged. And in not doing so, you're really, really, really risking stuff like this happening again because you're showing how it's not important how it shouldn't be acknowledged it, it's it's what's not been said that is dangerous right and i feel like even you're giving this sort of ammunition to all these people who, who just deny genocides in general exactly you're why no but it, i i really don't think they thought this through i really don't think they realized the risks in avoiding this topic mm-hmm. And, and I get it, it's a love show, but The Kardashians is a show about drama. Exactly. And this is the reason why we wanted it's to do this podcast It's not any more today. relevant than, than Occupation Dove, no. and they still managed to make it a part of it. And that's if right. Anyth- and if any of the two shows were more relevant, it would be the one that's actually filmed in Rwanda. That should bring it up. Exactly. I, I agree with that. Yeah. So that's our piece on it. And we really hope 
uh, <laughs> that you guys enjoyed our compare and contrast podcast. Yeah, this well, week. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys learned from learned it. Learned something. We, we really wanted to also try to explain what the Rwanda genocide is and why it's so important to to really remember and and to acknowledge it. Of course, and not even that. Even to just think more critically when watching shows like this, mm-hmm. especially that there's so many reality TV shows that travel all around the world yes. and. They make very specific pictures of mm-hmm. what they want these countries to look like, how they're all vacation destinations and stuff like that. But that's such a limited part of it. Right. And, and I think yeah. in after this episode, if you can just think a bit more critically about it, like that I agree. And I think it's just really also important to be understanding and compassionate and Exactly. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And we hope you're more informed. Yeah. So definitely uh, stay tuned for more. We have a lot of surprises. Yeah, we really do. We come, we've come, we come up with some really good stuff. So stay tuned for the next couple of weeks. And we hope you listen next week. Thank Bye you. Bye, guys.